The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. How are we all? And it's kind of, uh, why do I ask? It's Friday. For God's sake, it's Friday. I know you're doing terrifically well. I know you're looking forward to the weekend. Even those of us who work on the weekends, we love the weekends. What's not to love? It's the vibe. It is, and we got lots of terrific people. We've got Gemma Cooper. I'll be chatting with her very soon. Aussie Kozak, the Aussie Kozak Simeon Boycomp, and a man who is a fellow announcer here, also the son of a hero and a hero himself, too, I might add, David McBride, son of Dr. William McBride, a man who I have spoken of on radio for many, many years, the man, the whistleblower if you were, probably at a time before the term whistleblower existed, who spoke up about thalidomide and the horrific effect that it's had on so many people. Yeah, the Australian government only took them five, I shouldn't laugh, but it is, it's ironic, five decades to apologise for that. It was a, a drug, it hadn't been tested, they assumed it was safe. Gee, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, they assumed it was safe. And, of course, it was released upon an unsuspecting public for something kind of like COVID, where it was just the flu. And I think it actually was only ever the flu. I'd love to see it isolated and then show me that it was something different to the flu. There was that study where a bunch of samples got sent in and they were put under a microscope and they said, oh, that's, uh, oh, no, that's not quite. It's influenza A and B and not much else. That's all it is. Oh, we must have sent you the wrong samples. Well, send us the right samples. We don't have any. We don't have any actual proof that that existed. Anyway, I digress. Here they were. It's only morning sickness. You know, I you know, have a bit of a puke. Sorry if we're using that term in the morning. And uh, I'll take a drug because something that isn't very serious, and it's something that most women experience during pregnancy, if there is a, a, a way around it, obviously it can't be that toxic. And it was, it was beyond toxic. Children being born with nerve damage, without limbs, uh, facial distortion. I mean, you name it, the list is a mile long. What happened? And one doctor, there were probably hundreds of doctors who noticed and thought it could be this new drug, this thalidomide. But one doctor spoke up. One doctor was very vocal. One doctor was shouted down. One doctor was attacked by his colleagues. And that doctor is a hero. That is Dr. William McBride. His son, Dr. Sorry, Mr. David McBride, a lawyer, also a whistleblower uh, in the military, a lawyer and uh, somebody, a family who has a history of speaking up. And again, someone I'm proud to call a colleague will be chatting with him a little bit later as well. And of course, it's Friday. What does that mean? Omar Khan will be joining us. So I'm absolutely chuffed about that. Now, you know, I like movies. I'm going to talk about the digital uh, ID bill in a second, but I love movies and I love Australian movies if they're good, and many of them are. But of course, it doesn't get much more Aussie than Mad Max, does it? But you know what they're up to in the Marvel M She universe? It's all about race swapping, it's all about being diverse, it's all about gender swapping. And of course, the hero in the new Mad Max Furiosa which actually is a prequel to Mad Max 4, even though it's Mad Max 5, it will have a much younger, not Charlize Theron. Yeah, I'm sad too. Wow. I know, Charlize Theron. Uh, she won't be playing the role. It will be played by a brand new actress. She will be the lead role. And the bad guy 
Have a guess who the bad guy is. And he's almost, un- uh, you can't identify him. He's obviously got some facial makeup on and he really is very hard to identify, except for the body, of course. So I'd love to have that body. Uh, maybe I'll go to the gym. Chris Hemsworth. He's the bad guy, the token toxic male. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. But yeah, we had to have a, a female lead. But you know what? I'm all for it because it's not woke. You know, she's going to be hardcore. She's going to be badass. And it's going to be terrific. And we don't care if the leads are females because we love strong female leads. We just don't love when we have somebody who in reality is woke, who cannot, if you're woke in reality, if you're that person who is of such a weak character that you can't stand up and speak the truth or identify the truth, if you are that person, then how can you portray somebody who is not just cooler, stronger, but of course, in reality, smarter than you? Because if you are smart, you wouldn't be where you are. You wouldn't be woke, would you? But anyway, so I'm looking forward to that movie, despite the fact that the, the they've gender swapped for the first time in a Mad Max movie. The the hero is is it's a leading lady, it's a woman, and I'm looking forward to that. So there you go. I'm not sexist. I'm not racist. In fact, I think ladies, and I've said it many times, guys, we know it. We know it. They're smarter than we are. They really are. But uh, I'm looking forward to that movie. So it might might be a bit that way. Of course, the uh, digital identity bill has been floated. It is up. And uh, I don't know, you know, if we had good people, good people behind a digital identity bill, I'd have no problem with it because it would stop people who like to rot the system. It would keep them to account. But of course, when you have good technology in the hands of bad people that you can't trust, they'll use it to control us, to corral us, to herd us like a bunch of sheep into wherever they want us to go. We've seen over the last three years what they are capable of, and I'm certainly not going to uh, put up with it anymore. Of course, it will probably go through. It will have a magnificent amount of support, I would imagine. Of course, not from the likes of One Nation, Senator Malcolm Roberts on the program yesterday, uh, showing his total disdain for this. And of course, he and other members of One Nation and of course, uh, the right side of the crossbench will be standing up for each and every one of us. And let's hope that is the case. But um, the only positive that I could possibly think to come of this, and they will probably make an exception of it, would be Medicare. We get people coming from overseas posing, pretending to be Australian residents while they're just here on holidays. And of course, because you've just got a green card with a name, if you have the same blood type as a relative, you can probably have a $100,000 medical procedure and just say, well, I'm I'm them. I'm not me. I'm, I'm them. And that can happen. It does happen. It has happened. And it is rather horrific. Now, do you have a suggestion for a possible guest that we could have here on TNT Radio or perhaps even a topic that you feel that we should discuss? Then we want to hear from you. Simply fill out the suggestion form on the TNT Radio website and help us make a difference today here at TNT Radio. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, sorry, occasionally I have to look off camera. I... I have a monitor in front of me that is about four feet, no, four and a half feet wide. So occasionally I have to do that. I'm still getting used to the TV thing. Somebody who is immensely familiar with TV and radio and common sense and who is intelligent off the scale is the lovely Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gemma, how are you going? Yes, very good. You're quite right. It is Friday and we all, no matter where we are in the TNT global world, Friday is Friday. It, that's, it, it binds us all together, doesn't it? Right the way around the planet. <laughs> TFI Friday. <laughs> Who doesn't love a Friday? And no matter where you are, remember, it's five o'clock somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> Have a drink. You're- 
you're talking my language now you're talking my language mate absolutely absolutely it's uh, interesting actually to hear you talk about the um the digital identity you know that's another global thing that is is going to bind us all together but not in a good way at all i mean we've got exactly the same debates going on here in in the uk and i, I don't want to bring everybody down on a friday but it is my job to kind of bring the headlines from the uk to australia and because uh, it's the morning where we are and uh the uk covid inquiry seems to be this week the gift that does keep on giving a lot of it has turned into something of a pantomime i'm not sure if your one in australia has descended into the same level of farce where it's just politicians blaming each other and slagging each other off oh, like yes. a bunch of demented four-year-old children you know which is basically what they are if you scratch yeah. beneath the surface um but yesterday you know, the, the then health secretary during the scandemic, Matt Hancock, he he gave his evidence. And I do rather think that th this piece of evidence is the, is the key message that will come out of this inquiry. We haven't heard a great deal except for this week, actually, where, um, you know, on the record, uh, the head of the UK health security agency said masks were ineffective. I'm quite surprised to hear that going down as testimony in the inquiry yeah, me too. and also yes absolutely and uh michael gove earlier in the week as we discussed actually said that uh you know we had to consider the possibility that the virus was man-made now if you said that three years ago you'd be a conspiracy theorist now it's going down <laughs> as official testimony so there are a few nuggets this week and the one that came out yesterday from matt hancock bearing in mind he broke every bloody rule in the book by having an affair with his secretary and social distancing went out the window for him and locked yeah. and uh and uh, uh lockdowns but his key message and i think this will be the one that's pushed is we should have locked down harder we should have oh, locked down harder wow. he is claiming he is claiming that if we'd locked down on the 2nd of march instead of the 23rd of march we would have 90 percent of deaths would have been avoided now and, i don't know, Jim, how I, I have to interrupt despite the fact that we have evidence those countries who didn't lock down at all did significantly better than we did those who couldn't afford to do so and thank god for them like in africa did far better the data is out there and for them to continue with this absolute rot is just um it's it's criminal it is probably beyond criminal yeah well, talking of criminal, don't forget that Matt Hancock here in the UK and globally is dubbed Midazolam Matt because he took all <laughs> of the elderly people out of hospitals to free up the beds for the crisis that was coming, you know, save the NHS. He shoved them in care homes and ordered a load of Midazolam from France, which uh, did get used. Uh, and all those people died and, and it was blamed on COVID deaths. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, he's talking about saving lives on the one hand. <laughs> he caused most of the deaths in the first wave on the other with the use of that end of life care drug. It's interesting that the council of the inquiry challenged him on his assertion that if we'd locked down harder, we would have saved more lives. Uh, he said, well, you didn't put any of this in your lockdown diaries and in the book that you published and peddled after after it was all over and made a lot of money off your book. And he said, oh, yeah, well, the evidence only came to light afterwards and I, I forgot to put it in the book. Uh, he, he denies lying. Well, any, any politician that denies lying means they're lying. We all know the inversion <laughs> there. Um, but it's just interesting. Uh, Chris Whitty as well, uh, one of the advisor, health advisors to the government, chief scientific advisor, he he also peddled that message a few weeks ago. Lockdown, 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 lockdown. We should have done it. I regret we didn't do it earlier. And I think that your inquiry, our inquiry, they're exactly the same, singing from the same hymn sheet. They'll all be giving this message. And, and that's why, you know, when it happens again, when it happens again, right, you know something we don't know. Next time we'll lock down harder. Next time we'll lock down harder. So sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings on a Friday, but you can't ignore the UK COVID inquiry because, you know, we have to keep an eye on it because it will shape 
future strategy, as will the one in Australia and as will others around the world? It, it's a it's a big question. It's a hard question. You know, could they possibly pull this off again? And I would immediately, you know, part of me wants to say no. But then again, that same part of me was the part that said, hey, I know Australians, we're not going to fall for this in the first place. And we did. For the most part, we did. In fact, we fell for it harder than any other country in the world. It was pushed upon us. It was thrust upon us. Our prime minister assumed multiple cabinet positions secretly so he could push it. And there he is pretending to be the good guy, the guy who said, oh, no, you don't have to do any of this. It is beyond horrific. I mean, and there really needs to be a criminal investigation into all of this. But I mean, how do you have that when the people who are complicit in it control everything behind the scenes, other puppet masters. It's just absolutely horrific. And we we kick, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's uh, uh, commonsensical to assume we'll ever get a correct answer. Just the way that the Australian government, something we'll be talking about here today, and it ties in with COVID was, and of course it was worldwide, was that drug thalidomide, the morning sickness drug that caused all these babies to be born with mass deformities. And here is the Australian prime minister. And it really pains me to say that because he is such a piss weak character. Anthony Albanese, he's rarely here. Apparently, he's going to apply for a visa when he comes back here because they don't recognise him. He spends most of his time overseas. And there he is five decades or more later um, apologising to those who have become victim to it. Of course, now there is action. Uh, 50 years later, one would ask, why are they taking action now? And I heard somebody interviewed, somebody who was born with all the effects, all the negative effects that came from this particular drug and uh, the nerve damage. You know, these are people who, despite their horrendous injuries and deformities, just got on with, with life. You know, they could, you know, some of them were literally, and I, I'm sorry for painting a graphic picture, were brushing their teeth using their feet because they had no upper limbs. This is what one of the characters said. Wonderful people, just strong heroic people who uh, went by, but now the nerve damage is becoming so bad they need care. They've resisted asking for money for, you know, five decades, and they certainly deserve it. And let's hope that some of those pharmaceutical companies are the one who, ones who make good, certainly not the governments who allowed this thing in, untested, safe and effective. Gee, what does that remind you of, Gemma? Absolutely. And I was just thinking the parallels with the vaccine injured. Absolutely. You know, pharmaceutical companies don't care about us at all. It's about profit. Uh, same with governments, you know, and they're all indemnified. And I just hope it does not take 50 years for the vaccine injured, of which there are millions now around the world. We know that um, to get their compensation. Interesting that class action here in the UK, uh, bringing uh, AstraZeneca to court and they're doing it under the UK Consumer Protection Act, which is if you buy a product that's faulty, you have some protection. So they're going down that route with that. And if they win that first class action case here in the UK, it opens the floodgates for, for millions of people worldwide to take on Big Pharma. So we're watching that one with interest here as well. I, I really hope they win. Yeah, and again, I just hope that the money is coming out of Big Pharma's pocket, certainly not out of the taxpayers, because it's already cost us, just in this country, with a mere population of 26 million, it's cost us half a trillion dollars or more. The after effects, the inflation, you know, just everything else that's gone with it. And of course, your experience are it there on a bigger scale because of the larger population. It's uh, just a game that they played out on a global scale. Thank goodness a few countries were smart enough to resist because we can use their data to show that we got it wrong, despite the fact that our politicians will either never admit to it or may in, what, five decades, long after you and I are gone, unless we have some unexpected period of longevity, Gemma, um, but long after Algon, maybe my son, maybe our kids will live to see the day where the government apologises for what they've done to us over the last three years. 
Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Although, you know, I'll throw in something funny for a Friday. My psychic, because I have a psychic, doesn't everyone have a psychic? I have I a do. psycho. <laughs> well, he we told me. I'm gonna... Sorry, boom, boom. Sorry, go on. <laughs> he told me in no uncertain terms that I'm going to live to be over 100. So I may yet see the day, Dean. I may yet see the day where we get an apology from big pharma and government. I love that. I don't know why. I've always thought in my life, I'd for no reason, no health issue. I, I, at a young age, never thought I'd live past 40. I don't know why. I've got no idea. And here I am at 55. And so I, I, I think we'll be going forever. We're going to get the Aussie Cossack on after this. Gemma Cooper, love your work. Look forward to speaking to you on Monday. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend, just like everyone listening. You're listening to TNT Radio. We'll be back after this. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both of those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing, nurturing, rescuing, honoring, protecting. Caring, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes across all missions has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. I've got a few champions on today, people who have championed the cause of you, the everyday Australian, someone who's got your back. And my next guest is a regular a commentator, a co-commentator and a friend. He, he is Simeon Boykov, the Aussie Cossack. And welcome again, mate. How are you going? Uh, very good. Thank you, Dean. It's uh, great to be with you today. I'd love to say, what are you doing on the weekend? But you're trapped there in the bloody consulate building. <laughs> we're going to have to organise a party in there for you uh, uh, one weekend. Well, trapped is what we wanted you to think. You know. <laughs> so, some people think I'm trapped. Other, other smart people realise that this has unleashed the full potential to be able to operate in the informational space without being hindered at all by uh, police or any of the agencies. And that, they, I believe they find that extremely frustrating where before I was at an arm's length, able to be pulled over, searched, uh, harassed, monitored uh, quite uh, s severely as we as we saw through, through the lockdowns. 
I think I was pulled over, over like 167 times in one year. So, you know, 167 in one year. Oh, something outrageous is every time I leave the house, the police cars pull me over. Sometimes three times a day. Quite interesting. Simeon, I've got to ask this question. I mean, it was so obvious. I mean, we all enjoyed your content. We loved it. I mean, I'd be walking around my, my house. I'd hear that intro sound to one of your videos, and I'd run in because the wife would be watching it, and we'd sit there on the end of the bed, and we'd watch the videos. And we couldn't help but laugh at the fact that the police were providing this content. And, you know, a smart police commissioner would have said, leave this guy alone. I don't care if he's doing burnouts in the middle of Parramatta Road. Just let him do it. Leave him alone. And it, and, and it would have been that easy, but they just weren't clever enough to figure out even the most basic thing about that. And you took full advantage of it. And I think you did tremendously well. And we loved the content. Oh, it was great. It was the gift that kept on giving. I was <laughs> already, I was starting to sometimes even look forward to uh, police uh, interaction when I uh, see the, uh, blue and red lights in the rearview mirror and hear the sirens and i would just say to myself another customer we're going live here we go <laughs> and um we got some beauties didn't we back in the day you did but i've got to ask that question you had that locked box that they never really went to the trouble of of opening and i remember thinking you know if, if i was simeon i would have put some very interesting rather embarrassing things in there can you are you ever going to let us know what was in the box oh it's quite simple you open the box and then inside the box, there's another box, and in that box, there's another box. And it's, it's, like, it's like the Russian dolls. Precisely, precisely. And the box, of course, were adorned with chains and padlocks and uh, looked very serious. So when the police were doing these searches of my vehicle, they they opened it, they had a look, and they said, yeah, nah, too hard, just go. And I said, what do you mean, just go? I could, I could have a rocket launcher in there. There could be a Kalashnikov in there. <laughs> nah, just get out of here, just leave. And I said, this is you know, a very substandard uh, level of police professionalism. You're, uh, I'm supposed to be some type of a dangerous character with a, a firearms prohibition order and a weapons prohibition order. You know, it, it's nice to live in the consulate and the police cannot knock on the door or go through barging down the door. I haven't been searched in, you know, almost a year now. It's, yeah. a, it's a great feeling. It must be great and because you're on Russian soil. I mean, you may as well be in Russia as far as they are concerned. But I've, I've got to ask, you know, the, the the question, you know, when it comes to that time, you know, you'd go out, you'd never know what was what was going to happen, where they'd be. Were, were they lurking, waiting for you, or they would just spot you? I mean, obviously you had the, the big flag on the car. You weren't hard to miss. There were plenty of police travelling around, especially during the COVID lockdowns and whatnot. Or were they sort of just waiting down the road, waiting to get you? Uh, it depends. Sometimes uh, there were instances where a certain uh, Sergeant Collins, I think his name was, he would sort of just lurk around and wait around the corner for me to just drive out and pull me over. That was just that was the extreme end of the harassment. Others, others, I'd call them regular customers. You know, police that would uh, see me pull me over. And look, a lot of them were doing it just to. Uh, I think they wanted to feature uh, on social media and go viral. <laughs> Yeah, some, some of them would really go to a lot of effort, you know, wear, wearing like Louis Vuitton sunglasses when they pulled me over and, you know, uh, trying to sort of play along. And it's just it's just very comical. But oh, what yeah. was good was that it allowed uh, the general public, the viewers, to see an example of how to deal with police. And that's what the greatest thing was, to show no fear and to not be intimidated by their uh, tactics and to reverse reverse the uh, situation where the police, who are feeling uncomfortable, uh, due to their own incompetency and the incompetency of the laws of the day. And if we remember the laws of those days, it was illegal to be in the car with your wife if you couldn't prove that you were in a sexual intimate relationship with her.
You remember that? That was ridiculous. It's hard to believe that was ever a reality. And quickly, before we get on to our other subject, you know, just one of the other things that I, I always wondered, you know, there they were, they were out to get you, and they used that. It was just a photo of you with a weapon that you weren't holding a lead. Where was the photo even taken? Where was it? Oh, they found some photo social media when I was in Russia, you know, holding a Kalashnikov. Yeah, that's and what that's- I thought. It was in Russia. Yeah, where where it was legal for you to hold this thing, how they could have ever got that that firearms order against you. I mean, I, I thought I lived in a better country than that where something like that would have been thrown out. The fact that that stayed, it's still in place as far as I know, and mate, that but makes me sick to my stomach. Once you get a firearms prohibition order, it's there for life. It's it's extremely, extremely difficult to remove, it's impossible to remove. And that, of course, gives the police uh, the excuse to search whatever building, aircraft, vehicle, a boat you may be in, uh, you search your persons without any notice at any time uh, for the sole reason of checking to make sure you're not carrying a gun. You know, I was never charged with any firearms offences, never held held a firearms licence in Australia. And it, as you said, it was uh, linked to a photo of me in Russia holding a Kalashnikov. Yeah, but in Russia, Kalashnikovs, it's like Vegemite. Everyone's got one. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's horrific. It really is. But we've only got about three minutes to talk about that, which we were going to talk about. So go for it. Well, look, the Paluzzo expulsion, the sacking of Paluzzo, the decline of Paluzzo uh, is something of great interest uh, to my viewers and I, the Secretary of the Department of Home Affairs. Uh, this man is probably, in recent times, was the most powerful man in Australia. And it's through his... Uh, very intricate system of uh, political willing and dealing that this man made it to the top and he has been called by uh, some people including uh, his former colleagues uh, George Brandis the uh, former High Commissioner to the UK has been called by him as somebody who uh, has created the Home Affairs as his own as a department as his own creation at the end of 2017, uh, Paluzzo was the secretary of the Department of Immigration and Border Protection, and he amassed this huge power in this country. Not many people really know about this story, which I'm, why, why I'm bringing it to our attention today for our viewers. Uh, Paluzzo, uh, he instigated and agitated for the creation of this super-duper national security department in Australia, which combined uh, ASIO, the Australian Federal Police, uh, domestic security uh organizations and immigration and border protection into this one massive monopoly effectively this man paluzzo for a very long time was the most powerful person in australia and of course when you have so much power there's a reason why these agencies should be separate in a way they're sort of uh, uh are monitoring each other to an extent to keep each other honest and when it's all under the power of one person you know i don't think australians would agree with that and I don't think Australians voted for that. And it's a very un-Australian concept in general. This sounds like a, something uh, which is normal for maybe a dictatorship or some type of a Middle Eastern country or somewhere overseas. But it's no surprise because during that period as well, we had the famous Scott Morrison scandal where Scott Morrison appointed himself as the boss Multiple and the minister. cabinet positions, yeah. Of every single cabinet, secretly, right? Yeah. At the same time, right, these guys are up to no good. Paluzzo has now been sacked for breaching confidentiality. Right, this is the the top dog, and these breach confidentiality. What they do is effectively, uh, in twenty five words or less, they use their extreme power, which they have in the government, to create uh, favourable scenarios for uh, lobbyists, for private companies, 
or in, you know, using the government resources, using the power of the state and this extreme power that they yield, unstoppable power, which is not democratic and not Australian at all, not what we know, not the Australia we know, that we grew up in, our parents grew up in, they are able to then uh, give favourable contracts to their mates. And then when they leave politics, they get these fantastic uh, positions in private uh, military companies and uh, corporations, especially with the exploitation of the Pacific Islands through yeah, Australia's... Simeon, it's it's very funny. A brown paper bag in 2023 looks a little bit different than it used to. Mate, I've got to go. I'm out of time. Um, I'm sorry I hijacked you, but I wanted those who weren't familiar with you, there wouldn't be too many who weren't, but to, to know how it was that you ended up where you are and just how unfair the situation was. Mate, looking forward to chatting with you on Monday. I hope you have a terrific weekend. Uh, we're going to get to the news headlines with Simeon Boykov, the Aussie Cossack. Mate, thank you. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate you. We'll be back with a hero. In fact, the son of a hero who is also a hero, and we'll be chatting with him right after this. This is TNT Radio. What a news day this is turning out to be. Let's finish it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The temporary truce between Israel and Hamas has once again been extended by another 24 hours. NATO has once again reaffirmed its support for Ukraine in its war with Russia. The US-led military alliance now upgrading Ukraine's Soviet-era defence force to NATO standards. And Tucker Carlson has vowed to lead protests across America if former US President Donald Trump is convicted ahead of next year's presidential election. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. A hero who is the son of a hero is my next guest. His name, Major David McBride. He's a former military lawyer. He's an Australian. It's described as whistleblower. I say hero, champion if you will, uh, you know, back in 2011, 2013, he served in, a, in Afghanistan as a military lawyer to the Royal Australian Regiment and Australian Special Forces. He is, of course, the son of renowned doctor, Dr. William McBride, the whole thalidomide thing. Of course, that's blown up recently, only five or more decades to get an apology and uh, a true hero himself. David McBride, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Dean. Uh, thank you for that uh, beautiful introduction. It's great to be on your show. Mate, I've got to ask you, but before we get into you and all the wonderful stuff that you've done, you know, for Australia and keeping it real and whatnot, mate, what was it like growing up the son of somebody who, to many of us, uh, is a household name, somebody who I know has saved? I mean, we've seen the horrific effects of, of, of thalidomide, and every woman who listened and, and was made aware of the things that your dad had the guts to get up and say, could you imagine how many more children would have been born with massive deformities? I mean, that's beyond heroic, what your dad did. And I know what he was up against back in the day. It reminds me very much of, you know, an experience that many of us, you know, uh, had to watch, endure uh, many of the medical profession going through the last three years. But this happened 50 odd, more than 50 years ago, almost 60 actually. Um, and he's just an absolute champion. Mate, what was it like growing up with a dad like that? It must have been beyond inspirational. Yeah, it was good, and I was uh, always in awe of him. And I still meet people today who are about our age, about 60 or, don't speak for you, my age, and they say, uh, my mother is a huge fan of your dad because she, you know, she had a child about that time, but she didn't take thalidomide because yeah. of your dad. 
But it's huge, isn't it? <clears throat> that really and, is just huge. And it's great that, and you know, this is, as you said, 60 years later, people still, their mothers are still quite excited and they still want to say thank you, thank you. Obviously, it's a huge thing for people to have a healthy baby. And um, to see that kind of gratitude, that's why you became a, an obstetrician, that kind of gratitude that lasts your whole life. Everywhere we used to go when he was alive, people used to say, you delivered me or you delivered our first child. And um, and it was, it was so nice because that's why he wanted to become a doctor. He wasn't from a wealthy family. He got a scholarship to university, first person in his family to even go to university. And he just loved being a doctor. And I think he he, he loved um, hearing those stories from people that saying, thank you, things could have been a lot worse. Hey, all of that stuff that he did, and he raised a brilliant son in you, somebody who has succeeded everywhere he went, somebody who, again, had the guts and the, the intestinal fortitude, obviously in the genes in your case, to stand up and tell the truth when, when others wouldn't do it. And, again, I commend you for that, mate. Uh, what do you think of the Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, finally coming out after all these years and, and doing the right thing? Well, you know, we, we both know politicians. I mean, it was good. It was a heartfelt day and it was, it was a good thing to say. As usual, uh, it was slightly marred by two things. It's very easy for politicians to, uh, to apologise for bad things that happened 60 years ago. Um, but you're absolutely right. I couldn't help but think uh, there's quite a few analogies about things that happened only three years ago or whenever it was, where there was this kind of blanket coverage of which the government was involved in, which was highly questionable. And also something which was a little bit off. He didn't mention my father once at all. To Peter Dutton's credit, he did mention, and most of my friends or people who are in the business said, the only reason Albo wouldn't have mentioned your father because it would have made people make the connection that you were his son and they were trying to lock you up only a week beforehand <laughs> they didn't want the embarrassment so his staffers are like whatever you do no mention me Brian because it makes us look bad and so that was pretty got a low but saying that I was there and a lot of people came up to me anyway and it's like sometimes the more people try not to talk about something the, the more people talk about it so I was very happy and I'm so grateful to you to having me on the show I appreciate it. And of course, as a fellow TNT presenter, you know, somebody that I'm extremely proud to be associated with, um, you know, you've you're, you've been in the headlines yourself, of course, for being a whistleblower and doing the right thing. And again, you know, we have that culture, culture, you know, in, in, in the military, we have that culture in the medical profession where people just don't speak up when wrongs are being done. And those who do it, mate, the greater good is your always your goal. And, mate, again, I just thank God for people like you and the things that you've done. And, again, it must just run in the family because so many people see wrongs. I mean, I, I know plenty of doctors and nurses who have observed over the last three years um, situations going wrong, you know, um, with particular drugs and medications and whatnot. And they know. They know the truth. But, you know, their job is more important to them, them, you know, succumbing, them playing along is more important to them, mate. And there are so very few people who will go above and beyond and risk their careers, their reputations to go and do what you and your father have done. And mate, just, uh, again, I'm just beyond proud to uh, to have you on the show. Mate, sorry that I'm getting like that, but I do no, get a bit no, emotional I'm, when I think about what you've done and what your dad's done. Obviously, I'm loving it and I'm just so grateful to you. Obviously, it's been a hard couple of weeks for me. and um, But when I hear 
you talk, it's all worthwhile. I can handle everything. So you have helped me today. You're a hero to me. And um, likewise, I'm very proud to be associated with you on TNT um, because this this sort of thing, and there aren't many places like TNT, is really going to save the world because we do need people to be uh, not censored by uh, corporate government you know they're more or less the same thing now big government big corporate and uh and you are one of the the, the sort of bigger names on tnt and and uh, i'm so grateful to you and uh as i said you people like me die die miserable deaths without people like you so you're very much on my team and as are, are all your listeners watchers now viewers <laughs> get it right the view i know and so i'm grateful to all the tnt viewers as well um because it is it is good to be able to stand up but it's yet you need you need people on side as well so i, I want to pay the compliment back to you as well i'm, I'm very grateful um, to you and to tnt in general and as i said all of our all of our listeners because we are a happy uh, band of brothers Mate, I'll, I've been on, uh, you know, commercial talkback radio before this for 14 years on about 55 stations. And if I had a dollar for every p person who mentioned either, you know, your father or yourself, um, and in a very positive light, never, ever, never, ever once in a negative light, uh, in a positive light, mate, I wouldn't have had to been paid. Oh, that would have been, uh, I would have got more money out of that. And again, a name, names that you commit to memory and just, um, what you've done is, is a very mate, terrific, mate. Um, we've, What's happening at the moment, you know, um, and you being, you know, sort of coming up in the news and, of course, you know, your dad being ignored and whatnot, it, it must bring up some some feelings, you know, a lot of feelings from the, from the past that I, I don't know whether you kind of suppress them or, or whatever. But, again, it's just something I just hope that you celebrate this this time and because, again, this is a celebration of your dad and, and what he did. And, of course, mate, there's no bigger celebration of a dad who's proud of his son, mate, and you very much remind me of the way that I feel about my son and just when I think about how your dad must think about you. Yeah, no, it's a funny thing. And being a, it, it came up, Channel 10 interviewed me yesterday to their credit and they and they uh, they played an old clip and they found it, funnily enough, in the archives, they found a clip of my dad when he got his licence back, he got struck <laughs> off later in life, and me and him walking down the street, sort of doing the slow walk. And um, uh, it was... Um, it was quite nice to see. And at the time, you know, at, like with sons with dads, I, I admired him a lot, but I could also, I thought I could see, you know, see faults. But um, I, um, and now he'd be laughing. Yeah, he's, if his spirit was there yesterday, because I said that to Channel 10, I said, we're almost the same person in different generations. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that it's great? Isn't that kid. isn't that what every father, you know, you know, from up yeah. above would would love to hear? I mean, that yeah. that's the ultimate yeah. thing, you know. You know, that's right. The universe has a sense of humor, you know, um, and I do everything like him, good and bad. Every time I find something missing in the house, charges or whatever, I go straight to the. You've stolen my charger to the kids, <laughs> just like my dad used to do. You stole my trousers, or what? He always, he always thought my brother and I had stolen stuff from him. Of course, we had it now. <laughs> I'm just the same. I'm just the same with my own kids. But at least we could all have a good laugh about it, which is great. 
Mate, I, I love it. And just quickly, mate, before we go, um, you know, just tell people, you know, some of the stuff that your dad had to endure, mate, because, you know, as you said, he had to get his license back, you know, all these former friends and colleagues turning on him because he did the right thing. And it's even worse when you know that some of those people actually agreed with him, but they just wanted to play along with the, you know, the puppet show that is, you know, the, the medical fraternity and Big Pharma. Yeah, yeah, no, it was... Uh... Someone said that to him early on in his career, and he started as a 30-year-old, he didn't really, um, a bit like me perhaps 10 years ago, um, he didn't really know how the world worked quite or how dark it could be. And someone said to him, when he first got famous with the discoveries, they were like, you've made more enemies today than you will ever understand. And yeah, and it really hurt him. A lot of people he considered friends sort of gave testimony. And once there's a pile-on, uh, they, what really hurt him is they did a test, uh, they did inquiries into his caesareans, his normal, nothing to do with yeah. the science experiments, but about babies he delivered and said, oh, he, he did unnecessary caesareans or whatever. And he had to go back over operations he'd done 10 years ago and justify why he'd done it. And um, not one of those charges stuck. You know, and and um, even though he had a lot of people come in, the good people, a lot of people try to put him down, but good people come in to say, look, it was a reasonable decision under the circumstances, and therefore, and that was, it was really hard for him. Like thirteen charges, and they all fell away. But he, he, I think he spent more time in the witness box than Ivan Milat or any, you yeah. know, Carl Williams or whatever. They just cross-examined him up and down. Um, and uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't easy. But what, as I said, what made it good for him is that we 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 um, and you start to doubt yourself. But years later, when I was involved in politics, we were out door knocking together, and an older lady came to the door and said, um, "We introduced ourselves," and she said, "I know exactly who you are, doctor. I was a young uh, nurse at Crown Street Hospital when you did the thalidomide work," and and he just burst into tears. Because I, I think it, they'd worn him down so much that he began to doubt it all himself, yeah. and um, and to have someone say, "Look, it was real. I was there." Who uh, was not pushing any particular barrow, but she was just an eyewitness. He was just suddenly like let go. So yeah, it was a pretty hard road for him. But saying that, he he was, didn't want sympathy. He was one of those old school Aussies. Yeah. He liked nothing better than surfing on the beach in Sydney playing golf badly, uh, burning <laughs> the sausages, all those great middle-class Aussie traditions, yeah. you know, and he could have gone and lived overseas and I couldn't understand why not in America. They were young when I was young. Why did you go to America or Britain? He had no desire to do that. He he just wanted his children to to, to grow up Australian. I've written about this in my book because obviously our lives intertwine a fair bit, um, but that is something no one can take away from him. He loved Australia. Um and he loved all those um, all those funny things about it and, and, and football and uh, um, and he wanted his kids to be Australian. And uh, so it's something for the government to think about. You know, he he believed in this country. His grandfather, well, my grandfather, his father fought in the First World War, um, and we go a fair way back. And and uh, you know, people like like our TNT viewers, we believe in this country, and those who are possibly stuffing it up, uh, really need to think twice because we're hardly terrorists, McBride. You know, we yeah. we might not be angels, but I don't think anyone's ever proved that's the thing about us. We weren't doing it. I mean, he didn't take thalidomide. 
Um, I, I didn't, um, I wasn't accused of anything myself. And, and it, that, that's the proof of the pudding. We were standing up for something that we thought was wrong. Um, in someone and other people. And uh, that's really the proof of the pudding. It wasn't and, and, and David, mate, that's why you're a hero, mate. The, the harder they come at you, the more of a hero you are, you know, the stronger, you know, you've proven yourself to be. You and your father, for different reasons, absolute heroes, mate. I've got to go. We've got to do this again. I've, we've just scraped I the, loved it. the tip and of the iceberg. It really made my day because I was feeling a bit down and I really want to emphasise that. You have helped me today, so you're a hero to me, Dean. So thank you so much. Mate, and and I, I promise you, on you know, on on my life, mate. All the people in the chat uh, completely concur. Mate, you are a champion, as is your father. And uh, mate, again, just very quickly, I've only got like a second. Uh, how can people get your book? Uh, it, it's anywhere. Uh, most bookstores. It's called The Nature of Honor. I'd love people to read it. It's pretty funny at times. My childhood, our convict ancestry, my dad. Uh, are intertwining, yeah. So Nature of Honour, David McBride, and, and it would really help me if, if people could buy a copy for, for Christmas. Mate, that would be terrific. And, mate, I can just see your dad smiling down yeah, on you at your proud as punch. Mate, terrific to catch up with you, and we'll, we'll do it again soon. Thank you so much, Dean. Everybody, that's Major David McBride, a true champion and the son of a champion as well. This is TNT Radio. We'll be back on the other side with Omar Khan. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. As a meteorologist, I look for common threads in the weather. And common threads are absolutely essential when looking at the climate situation. Because you see, it's not really about climate. Let's take a common thread between Al Gore, Dr. Michael Mann, and our infamous climate ambassador, John Kerry. Al Gore, first of all, his father voted against the civil rights movement. Secondly, Al Gore was a state senator in Tennessee. Guess what's in Tennessee? A state park and a giant monument to the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. How come he didn't see that over there? What about Dr. Michael Mann saying that climate deniers, and I suppose I'm one of them over there, are a threat to children and grandchildren. Very interesting since he supports policies that have reportedly ended the life of 60 million kids before they came out of the womb, three quarters of them people of color. And then of course, there's John Kerry. That's the man who supposedly threw his medals over the fence at the White House. And yet we see him show up at these meetings with all his medals, right? What kind of hypocrisy is that? This is a man who wants us to start in the face of record-breaking food production, somehow or the other, get rid of the agriculture so that we can cut CO2 emissions. You see the common thread between all these people? They're all hypocrites. They all follow the same kind of thing that they do with climates. They're sanctimonious know-nothings, and that's exactly what this is about. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. Uh, animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. So the country has been long for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution. And we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Oh, okay. 
and around the world for any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution, one rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And it wouldn't be the Dean Mackin Show on a Friday if we didn't have Omar Khan, global super consultant to the stars, uh, speaker of many and all truth, and we've got him on the program. Hey, Omar, how are we going? Very well, my friend. Good to be here. Mate, always good to have you on. And as always, you're a, a wealth of, of information always, and I always put it over to you. Where do you want to start? Well, uh, a pal of mine, Nick Hudson, the eminent uh, chairman of Panda, who've done such wonderful work in truth-telling and pushing back, um, he recently gave a presentation uh, in Romania in front of their parliament. And here's the point. Um, I've got an article about this coming out tomorrow. So if people want to read more about it, uh, it's ft.lk. Uh, www.ft.lk. But what he suggested is that whenever anything is presented as a static consensus, rather than evolving exploration, it's a scam. I like that, yeah. Okay, just the nature of the beast. So anytime somebody tells you this is settled science, or we know who uh, the villains are um, in one narrative or another, um, and it's not up for discussion. Yeah. And in fact, you're being disloyal. If you even question it, you've got a scam on your hands. And so um, we call this heuristic Hudson's Razor, Nick Hud in honor of Nick Hudson. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Namely, if a problem is presented as one, a global crisis, two, admitting of only global solutions, and three, amid silencing of dissent, it's a scam. It's a power that. grab and illicit to the core. And yep. you needn't debate it. You needn't try to falsify it um, because the nature of that beast, one, why would you be looking to silence dissent? If you're confident, you welcome dissent yes. so you can set them right. Again, what problems in the world have been solved globally that you know of? I can't think of any. <laughs> None. I've seen local initiatives that were then copied elsewhere yeah. adapted innovated upon uh the japanese wonderful phrase imitate then innovate um you know comes back and why is a problem a global crisis and you think to yourself is it erupting in the whole planet in the same way in the same pace um and so it's a wonderful thing and you know if you look at the People who believe that are centralizers. Yeah. They're believers in central government. They're be believers in central authority, whether it come from WHO, uh, the UN, uh, the Gates Foundation, some central authority, uh, the CDC, uh, your version of that in Australia. Whereas all the innovation, whether it was COVID breakthroughs or social advances, come from pioneers yes. slogging away uh, close to where they live, learning from each other, but then adapting it to the local scenarios uh, that then other people in turn learn from and leverage. So if there's an answer, it's got to be that we, all of us, reclaim 
a local initiative and local leadership where we have a circle of influence rather than waiting for the great nanny state to suddenly in the twinkling of an eye transform into something benign yeah. benevolent and salvific yeah. uh, it ain't going to happen in my lifetime uh, right. or even yours I, I hope it happens in our kids' lifetime. I mean, I truly pray it does. Um, you know, there's an awakening, but it's certainly not nearly big enough uh, to combat what they've got in store. And I, I would suggest that they've got a, a playlist a mile long of things that they're going to roll out over time to schedule. Well, right. I mean, so if you take a look at this, in 2018, they look back, Al Gore, 10 years prior to 2018, had said the, Nolar, the North Polar ice cap would be gone. Irritatingly, it's still there. Uh, <laughs> that's an inconvenient truth. Hey, Omar, I've, I've got to say this. You know, when my son was young, uh, he's 15 now, when he was 10, we watched the Christmas movie, you know. There's Santa, North Pole, the whole yeah. lot, and they had to work in to a children's movie. There's Santa talking to camera and telling the children of the world how sad it is about climate change and that the North Pole may melt and there wouldn't be Santa's workshop anymore. That is how low these right. people will go to indoctrinate. Well, no, they don't know what they're talking about. And then when climate alarmism falters, a pathogen does the round. When that falters, provoke wars, which continue to rage to feed the military-industrial complex and terrify everybody with AI, um, yes. which today can't even to yet conduct a modicum of a complex conversation. It may reach terrifying manifestations, but it's not going to be anytime soon. Yep. And then there's peak oil, topsoil shortages, rare earth metals, water shortages. And it's not that there's not a scintilla of truth, but as Nick points out, and as I point out, human knowledge has always been up to the task before yeah. to deal with, to transform and for some reason, we think our creativity has run out before even giving it a fighting chance. Um, you know, instead, these people produce these silly diagrams and offer a word salad that just thinly conceals their own stupidity. <laughs> and then all the answers are top down. One health from WHO. Central banks want all your money in digital currencies. Uh, IT is going to tell us what permissible content is. And who decides? Who's the arbiter? Who is judge, jury, and executioner on permissible content? I think Elon Musk said it for many people recently. <laughs> he told Disney and others to go F themselves. Oh, I, I love Elon, um, especially after that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he has his moments. I mean, moments of great lucidity. Uh, net zero <laughs> is probably going to lead, lead to people starving around the world. And so, and you know, here's the interesting thing. Even education. They want standardized syllabi, whereas the whole beauty of education surely must be. And now I'm going to get a little grandiose, but it's, it's going to be the divine discontent that comes from not having an answer yeah. and mucking around, trying to grope for it or to approximate it. That's the holy thing. Yeah. Uh, one of my teachers told me the path to holiness lies through questioning everything. I, I think that's a good mantra to live by, isn't it? Question everything. I think I, I taught my son that at a very, very young age. That and the other good ones, on you. sorry, that most people, let's face it, 85, 90% are stupid. And I think the last three years may have proven that to some extent. But, mate, thank well, God everyone listening. Well, it anyway. 
<laughs> yes, but mate, everyone listening to this particular uh, radio station, uh, I know is absolutely awake and uh, quite the opposite to that. And I appreciate them. We appreciate you, Omar Khan, coming on every, every Friday. And I look forward to next week. I hope you and uh, everyone else listening uh, has a wonderful weekend. Uh, you got anything planned, Omar? Likewise. And do check out uh, www.ft.lk. If any of this resonated, tomorrow it'll be there uh, in all of its glory, such that it is. Um, We'd love to carry on the conversation once you've seen it. Thank you. Limbert, OPEC coming up next, then Katie Hopkins after that. Have a great weekend.